All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Work Now and in the Future Living HR's Give Back panel podcast, where today we'll discuss succession planning now to make sure that you have the right leaders and talent for tomorrow. In the midst of the great resignation, I really can't think of a more timely topic or a better group of people to talk about it with. I'm your host today, Carrie Higgins Bigelow. I'm the CEO of Living HR, and I'm also a co-founder of Feely. For those that don't know us at Living HR, I, um, we're all about really humanizing work to achieve better outcomes for business and humanity. And we're really doing this work by trying to reimagine what work looks like for the future to build more inclusive cultures, optimize talent and people operations, and ultimately humanize the overall talent experience for people every day. Before I get started, I would like to share that all of our podcast event proceeds today will go to Chef Jose Andreas's nonprofit, World Central Kitchen, uh, to support the victims of Hurricane Ida, which is still causing significant damage, unfortunately, as we speak. Uh, Living HR is going to be making a donation and appreciation of all of you, and we'll hope that you all chip in whatever you can. If you haven't heard of World Central Kitchen, they're an amazingly quick organization to deploy all of their re relief efforts. Um, they use uh, the power of food to jump in and nourish communities and strengthen economies at times of crisis. And we hope that you will join us no matter how big or small in supporting their work. All of the other housekeeping items for today will be in the chat for those that are attending live. But now it's time to dig into our conversation with our brilliant panel of leaders in their own right. Today, I have with me Monica Jaramillo, the North American People Leader and Head of HR at Gerdau, Rebecca Sanford, Chief People Officer of Next Tech Systems and also an author, and Krista Degnan Manning, Senior Director of Research and Innovation at UKG, also known as Ultimate Kronos Group. Thank you all for being here. I also wanted to send our best to Trisha Sportsman. Um, she's the VP of People and Culture over at ISN. She could not be here today unexpectedly, but we look forward to having her on a future podcast and send our best. To kick us off, I'd love for each of our panelists to introduce themselves. I can't do them justice, but also to share their perspective on how to take a humanized approach to succession planning. Um, so I'm gonna let you kick us off, Rebecca, and uh, give us a quick intro and just a quick perspective. Thanks Great. for being here. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Krista and Monica and all of you. So thanks for taking the time out of your day. Um, I am Rebecca Sanford. As Carrie said, I'm the Chief People Officer of Nextech Systems, which is a 400-person software company that services the ambulatory healthcare market. We're headquartered here in Tampa. I've been with the company for seven years, and I've been in people and culture as a profession for close to 20 years now. I'm a native New Yorker, but I've been here in Tampa for 10 years. I am a writer, as Carrie mentioned. Um, I'm a fiction writer, and I'm also a founding board member of Fee League. So I'm very pleased to be here and look forward to talking to you guys. So glad you're here. Go ahead, Monica. Sure, well, hello everyone. And thanks Carrie also for having me here. It's really a pleasure to be again, I guess, first time was in, uh, HR, disrupted HR. So, um, yeah, I'm the HR leader for Gerdau. This is a steel industry, a Brazilian company, and we have operations here in North America, uh, more than around 5,000 5, employees. Uh, originally, I am originally from Colombia and South America. I've been living here already like uh, three years here in Tampa in this, uh, I will say, new challenge in the middle of uh, with a pandemic in the middle and uh, yeah, 18 years of HR uh, experience in different multinational companies and different countries. And yeah, happy to be here today sharing my experiences uh, with Rebecca and Krista. Thank you. Thanks so much, Monica. So glad you're here, Krista. Thanks so much for having me, Carrie and Monica and Rebecca for sharing the dialogue today. So Krista Manning, I currently lead research and innovation for UKG, which is a global talent payroll um, 
workforce management, HR service delivery company, the combination of Ultimate Software and Kronos. Um, but I spent the majority of my career actually as an industry analyst, helping organizations select workforce facing software and uh, uh, service providers. Um, today, I actually work on coming up with new concepts and validating them um, about where we're going to take our product, because we actually do think we need to humanize the software that we're bringing to the marketplace, not only because the, the basic automation is going to be table stakes with just the way the populations are shifting and the needs of capabilities uh, for people to be doing more human things, right? The things that people can uniquely do. We need to coach mm -hmm. and nurture. Um, and so looking forward to talking about how we're going to be able to do that together today. I love it. Yeah, that is one of the greatest things. If we could get humans to be really great at humans and let technology take care of the rest, that would be wonderful. Uh, so one of the first questions I have today is, um, what's one way that an organization that's never done succession planning before could get started um, like right now, what's the first step? Rebecca, I'm gonna start with you. I know you've had to build people functions and start from square one. So I'd love to hear your perspective and then everybody else, please chime in. We have, yes. Yeah. So succession planning in general, and you know, in my experience, I'm working for a software company that is private equity owned and have been with the company for seven years. So we've gone through many chapters and, and a lot of change, but I think Generally, I mean, the world is changing so quickly and businesses evolve. And I think, you know, applying uh, a framework of succession planning to an organization as it is today, so that you have continuity in perpetuity is just not realistic because businesses change and the world is changing and we're going to need to adapt to it too. And your company uh, presumably isn't going to look exactly the same way it does today. Um, in 10 years from now or five years from now or even next year and shouldn't. And so I think before, before even beginning the conversation about the human approach and the, the EQ and all the things that we need to really make succession planning work when it hits the ground is what, what's, the, what's the evolution of the organization look like and what are the critical competitive areas of advantage that you're looking to grow and what are the functions then as a leader that we need to apply succession planning to, as opposed to areas of the business that maybe need to evolve in a different way where you don't need successors, you need um, partnerships with other companies or opportunities to um, outsource or um, you know, have a different type of revenue share or something like that. And I think as the businesses evolve, looking at succession, um, and we will talk more about this, I'm sure, from the human aspect, but you, you may have areas of the business that are growing where you have and need more successors than you have leaders today, which automatically takes away that kind of linear feeling of succession planning. So I think that's the first start. Um, it's such a big topic, but um, you know, once, once you've identified those areas of succession planning, you know, for us, we look a lot at um, potential. And potential is not something that's static. It can grow, it can shrink, it can be activated. Um, and it's not always correlated to performance or even function. Uh, I think we look at you know, uh, natural inclination towards growth and towards uh, growth mindset of believing that you can do something. Um, we look at situational abilities. So um, you know, control over just agent behavioral agency and and being able to kind of uh, lead through periods of uncertainty um, motivation we, we teach situational leadership as one of the leadership styles and and kind of programs mm -hmm. in our organization and so you know listening to the personal narratives and the goals of of the individuals and and thinking about how those align with uh, values and the values of the organization and you know, looking at have they achieved them? Do they have the capacity to achieve them? And so I think um, potential is a, is a big area that we look at and knowing that careers aren't lateral um, and that they shouldn't be lateral, that journeys will intertwine. And some of the things we talked about um, just briefly before the session with regard to workforce planning and um, you know, having this kind of ground up, bring your own opportunity um, and listening to what people want to do and what they're motivated to do is a big part of it. So that's a starting point. I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, that's, those are all great thoughts. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of it is around really discovery and understanding of what are you really trying to create as an organization before you start succession planning and making sure those things 
really are in alignment from a capabilities perspective. Monica, Krista, do you have anything to add in terms of a great starting place? I can add something and uh, it's very similar to what Rebecca, but I, I will add that uh, we, we always start with the business strategy, understanding every year what's the strategy for, for this year. And according to that strategy, we will define first the critical positions for the business that are just like for this year, this is going to create the impact. So from there, we start critical positions and understanding who is sitting there. Are those people that the right match or not? Do we need to develop them or not or change it or not? And who are their successors? And review that every year. Because uh, sometimes we just leave the succession plan like, oh, three years doesn't make sense every year. And, and sometimes uh, in this crazy world that things are changing so much, this has to, it, is, it has to be a living process. Yeah, and I'm sure, Krista, you can add to how to make it a living process from a tech perspective, too, but I'd love to hear um, from a starting place where you would start. Yeah, I was going to say, it might sound a little flippant, um, but as an analyst, we always used to joke that people would get the funding from business case to invest in HR technology when the CEO wanted to know how many people work for them or who worked for them, right? They didn't always have a, an actual timely sense of who worked in the organization. And I think what we're um, evolving to today is actually just that. Do you have an idea of who works for you, but not just who are they and how many and how much are they costing you, but what are their skills? What are their demographics, right? Who works for you so you can actually start to groom people and do that more macro workforce planning. Um, and you can obviously hone in and do traditional succession planning on critical roles and critical executives. But again, can you accommodate that workforce fluidity of helping people see the opportunity? Because I think more and more the shift, given the external environment, is that's going to be a moving target who works for you every single day, right? And so right. I think know who works for you uh, at a deeper, more richer level, even to their personal life, you know, what, what's going on in their life and what might happen, um, and then be able to start to actually, you know, use that data in more meaningful ways to predict what your organization is going to look like. Yeah, I love that. There's so much that um, if we empower people to have those resources to be able to learn and raise their hand for opportunities that are in or outside of the organization, it really does have um, so much more impact. I know you shared, Krista, some different ways that your organization is doing that. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit more. Um, on how your talent models have really played into being able to offer that fluidity. Sure. So um, with the advent of um, the, you know, COVID environment and having people go remotely um, and having immediate reaction to support our customers in different ways, we implemented um, Gig Explorer. So we actually let people from different departments volunteer for formalized projects in other areas of the business, one, to better react to customer needs and market needs. Um, but we quickly realized that that actually made people excited to not only contribute to the, what the company needed, but grow their skills and stretch in new ways and get exposure, um, almost like internal internships um, to where they might be able to grow their career. Because um, we were, you know, we've discussed uh, earlier today that, you know, oftentimes people don't know what opportunities they might be available for or where their careers will grow. Will grow. And that's probably only going to become more likely um, in our current job environment or even what they're interested in i mean it gives just such greater exposure to know that oh i might really not want to do this thing i've always done i might want to learn more over this other part of the organization and that only adds to that capability inventory that everybody's trying to get at is if people have all that <clears throat> excuse me learning and exposure like how much greater would our capability be as a whole organizational system Super interesting. Um, so Monica, I'm curious, in terms of succession planning efforts and the future, what are some of those capabilities that you see as most in demand? What are the talents and skills and knowledge that um, organizations are really trying to attract and build within their systems? Sure. So if we see the future, actually, there is, uh, we're seeing a lot of trends into going to more flattening organizations and 
and that will demand different type of leadership, leadership that is going to be closer to, to their employees and working high by, hand by hand or working together. So for me, those, for me and what I'm seeing, their capabilities are more inclusive leadership for sure, uh, more empathetic uh, leaders that are able to really listening and active listening to their employees and, and uh, you know, be curious about their lives, not only like, okay, what ambitions they have in the professional, but what about their personal lives? Because sometimes we even make decisions in rooms about people's lives and we are gonna move this person to here and there and there. And this person didn't want that. And we forgot to ask <laughs> this person about that. So uh, being more human is, is, is taking care of that and understanding that Sometimes the teams that are gonna be with us doesn't mean they need to be the same of us uh, as us. We we that's being inclusive. Uh, we tend to oh the the ones that we trust. We tend to understand that there are people similar to us. But sometimes what the business or the area needs are is people that are different from us, and that's that's difficult to to understand and realize that uh, we have to be open to that and bring more diversity into the organizations, different ways of thinking. So for me, the future is asking for that. People that are more conscious, leader that, leaders that are paying attention also. There is a lot of um, ESG out there. So it's not only people that are paying attention to what uh, the impact we have in the communities as, uh, through social responsibility and the impact we have in the environment. Uh, I don't know, not right now with the zero CO2 emissions and so those are the capabilities that we're looking or no more, uh, you know, it's, it's important to see background and education and technical knowledge for certain positions still is, is a very important thing. But more than that is the attitude, more than that is, is that human touch uh, that you're able to influence teams and, and really inspire them. You're so right. And the world is definitely shifting to this, which is music to my ears. Um, as somebody that leads an organization that's all about humanizing work, it's interesting because that, that we call it the HQ leader, that they have to have this trifecta. And it talks a lot about the points that you just made, Monica, that are it's emotional intelligence. They have to have cultural intelligence and we have to have business intelligence all combined in one person. And that's a lot to ask, um, really, um, but there are ways that we can actually develop and um, find those capabilities and people that we may have not necessarily tapped before. And I think that's an important point. We did just have a poll pop up that said, my company does succession planning. And interestingly, and I'm surprised, you all are much better than I expected you would be out there that 66% are doing it, um, which is great. Um, 30 4% of the audience are not yet embarked on that initiative. I'm saying, I would say that we see that to actually be lower when we actually ask, like, show us your succession plan and our discovery work. Um, it's hard for people to really drum up what their experience is in that, in that area. Anything that you, Rebecca or Krista would add in terms of capabilities to help future-proof? Yeah, I mean, I just love what Monica talked about with social responsibility. I think that's very real um, and something that even investors that look at companies that will do social diligence the same way that they're doing financial diligence and other, other health checks on companies is really important. Um, so I think, you know, looking as a selection criteria um, in succession planning at uh, that level of social responsibility and, and what type of person are you labeling a leader in your organization generally, so... Yeah. And it's interesting that corporate social social responsibility and the ESG, you know, it is, it's not only having a benefit for the organization and the community and humanity and all of that, but it's also connecting people to the organization and the work that they're doing. And it matters so much more than people realize. So it's such a great point, Monica, that you brought up. Before we move on, Krista, do you have anything you wanted to add? I think um, just the whole shift from thinking of people as, you know, things that you rated once a year or, you know, managed very strictly to this ongoing kind of coaching and development concept. Um, again, it kind of plays into this idea of workplace fluidity, right? Like it isn't a lot of the HR processes that were, you know, very, um, you know, 
rudimentary, like you have to do this, you have to follow this process, you have to follow this policy. You know, people didn't really get motivated by that, right? So we're, we're, you have to think about how do you really meet people where they are, understand their humanity, their personal life, and then and empower them to be able to explore and then have like just-in-time talent, right? Like when the opportunity presents itself, have people be ready or ready to raise their hand is kind of more of the shift in thinking around succession planning than that really traditional, you know, HR process that I think people are questioning a lot of the traditional processes around how <laughs> to sure. be more fluid and, um, you know, <laughs> human in terms of how do we interact and support people. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, everything just cannot be reflective. It has to be fluid and happening where we can scale or we can adapt to whatever is happening in this world. Um, one of the audience members out there said there's no straight line to success. The zigs and zags are part of the career trajectory, which I loved. And uh, there's also a great question, hi, Brian, um, about what's your thinking around the need for employees' interest or ability to relocate for succession roles, given the increased focus on flexible and remote work lives? I think that's a great question. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there because I think it has a lot to do with that fluidity and um, scalable models. What do you all think? I can I can go ahead. I think for sure that's very important now. It will open up a lot of opportunities to bring more people because sometimes uh, if you are like we are here in Tampa and we, we want talents and we don't have enough here in the local market that will open opportunities internally and externally. We have like in my in our case, we have locations all over US and Canada or even other countries. So that opens a lot of opportunities for the organization to have talents if they don't have mobility, let's say. And also if they have mobility, it will open up a lot of opportunities for them to go. Uh, but I'll, one thing I wanna say, it, it also, it will depend a lot of, on the leadership that we have. If the organization is ready to, to you know, open for, for that mobility, for remote work, because uh, it's still where a lot of organizations, and I can say like mine, we're still going in a hybrid mode. We have meals and uh, locations uh, where we have the manufacturing plants or, or the, uh, mm -hmm. the the production processes. It's not so easy sometimes to say, oh yeah, we'll have an engineer working from home or in another state. You know, we have to have that engineer there at the meal with the hourly employees or taking care of the unions. So, but definitely will open a lot of possibilities in this market for people and for organizations. Completely. I think if people are serious about um, diversifying and creating belonging, we'll have to be more open to relocation really only beyond country borders, right? Like I think that's a logistical kind of detail we'll have to ask people and deal with. Um, but sure. I think within individual country borders, um, you know, we've already seen research that shows um, a lot of underrepresented populations feel more comfortable and actually are thriving being able to work remotely because they may, you know, have other resources now that they're not, um, you know, having to uh, stretch to get into an office or to commute. Um, and so I think, you know, succession, uh, uh, relocation outside of of a country's borders will be still relevant, but maybe not so much within a country. If we if we are serious about leveling the playing field um, of all kinds of underrepresented uh, people. Yeah, Could in our world. Oh, I'm sorry, Carrie. I think it's entirely dependent on the culture in our world. We, we're a highly productive um, remote and hybrid workforce. So relocation wouldn't necessarily be something that's critical for us. Um, it's probably correlated to a motivation level and an ambition level, um, if that's possible. But but in our world, you know, in the software industry, um, certainly we've seen highly productive cultures that are fully remote and ways that we can connect as a community without physically being together. So I think it depends. Yeah. I think, you know, if your job isn't required to be there, and there obviously are certain jobs that just really need to be done in location, but I can't imagine that we're going to see this flexibility and the work from wherever or working from home or whatever you want to call it, the virtual world is going to go away. There's no way that the talent is going to let that happen. And I, I know there's some organizations that are hanging on hoping, but it's, I really don't 
see where people are going to choose that preference. I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities where people are going to want to connect and we're going to have satellite locations where people can come in and be with humans. And that is so important too. But um, that's part of this, you know, whole reimagination of the way that we are all going to work. And it's, you know, really been um, pressed uh, the fast forward button here, thanks to the obvious past 18 months. Um, another question that I'd love to dig into is just what other uh, trends um, are you all seeing out there? Krista, I know your role is centered around innovation and research. Um, what are you seeing out there in terms of what's happening uh, that's impacting how organizations are building capabilities and able to plan for departures or uh, planned or unplanned? I think there's a huge focus on organizational health, right? The employee well-being. And again, if we're in this great um, uh, resignation, right? where if people didn't do succession planning very well or are consistently in good times, right? It's even more <laughs> difficult to do it in bad times. So there's a real focus on, are you creating a well-being culture where people want to join, they want to stay as a, as a bigger strategy or a, a, a bigger um, tactic than um, really being able to kind of do a lot of that due diligence because they may not know what jobs are gonna exist for lots of different reasons. Um, so really uh, focusing on that well-being. Um, and I think another concept, and it, this has kind of been evolving over the last couple of, of years, maybe even decade, but the idea of um, kind of cultivating relationships with candidates who might join your company when it's the right time, right? And so kind of that's a, a, even like a, a farther reaching succession planning kind of concept, right? How can you actually create relationships and, and get people to really know about your organization, understand that you support and care for them um, as a way to, attra again, attract and retain versus planning to backfill for somebody. Yeah. And again, you know, that capacity planning and the workforce planning and being able to, when things are hard, have scalable models to be able to not burn people out is, is so critical to how we will all work right now. You know, a lot of organizations are suffering with huge attendance challenges and all kinds of departures and the great resignation and all that work then falls on the people that are there. And so that well-being burnout factor is just, it's skyrocketing. And it's, um, you know, the organizations that are preventing it from happening by doing great workforce planning and looking for flexible workforce models are way, way ahead. Um, curious, what other trends, Monica, Rebecca, what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, I'm seeing like definitely I, I'm seeing that organizations are tending a lot towards uh, more conscious organizations, B Corp certification, where uh, the people is on the center or the human being is on the center, the environment is on the center. So I will say like cultures and organizations with a soul, uh, that's, that's the trend that is happening and and of course combining again with with business needs and results because organizations need to at the end we, we live in a capitalist system so we we are there to really bring results and, and make money but with a through a more conscious way and and as we see the different um i'm seeing different ways of organizations uh that are being talked out there and this has been for a while like zappos is with the uh, holacracy and uh, where like people are more tending to customer uh, you know service and and we need that employee in those cases and, and organizations are tending more because all these task driven and tactical functions or positions they are going to become someday I don't know robots or uh, artificial intelligence and technologies coming so what we will need is people to really make choices make changes uh, make decisions and and really take care of each other and collaborate more and with some, I don't know, we'll call it cultural intelligence because there will be people from different places and with diversity. So I'm seeing that and in a more holistical way, there is another uh, term that I'm seeing is called synarchy. That is, uh, is also pretty much around uh, that is like, okay, uh, we are all leaders. We work together in, in collaborations and from time to time we take turns. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm seeing also new companies that are having 
not only one leader, but two leaders. Uh, there is a pair yeah. of leaders uh, coming together. So one takes care more of the, let's say, results, finance, and the other one is more like the people-oriented or ESG-oriented. So they together can do better than just one. So I, I think that's very interesting trend. So yeah, lots of possibilities out there, but definitely the human side, I, I see is the, the one that is, is in the center. That makes my heart so happy to hear that. Go ahead, Rebecca. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, I think you know, a year and a half ago, some of the things that we would have said that we did that were nice to haves and um, so grateful that we, we did them and put focus on them. But some of the things, as Krista mentioned, like training and succession planning, but also a focus on culture, employee engagement, um, altruism, you know, philanthropy, just the employee experience and, and genuinely focusing on those things um, have become now much more than nice to have. So I think they're, they're what has helped us to kind of navigate through all these changes in the demands of the talent um, and the changing marketplace. And so I definitely see that same, that same shift that Monica just articulated too. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's always this conversation of people over profit or profit over people, but I don't know any profit that has not come or been yielded by people. So if, <laughs> if you don't put them first, there's no way to create this profit that everybody's looking for that leads to the organizational outcomes and the better human outcomes. And so I just am so hopeful and glad and happy to hear that you all are seeing that and uh, sharing it with the audience today. Um, I saw a poll popped up that I see a future with my company and it looks like 76% say yes. So that is in conflict with the great resignation, but great to see that uh, hopefully there are some people staying put, but 24% don't. So another you know, point is just making that opportunity visible. Um, I'm, I'm curious to all of you, how do you make the opportunities visible to different groups and identities and those that have been historically underrepresented and making sure that there is more diversity in the next in line talent and making sure we're not going to the same places over and over again for the talent. So I'd love to hear how we can ensure that succession planning can be more inclusive. Um, and Rebecca, I'll kick it over to you, but then we'll all weigh in because I know this one is near and dear to everybody on this panel. Sure. Yeah. And I think we've hit on so many, so many different ways that we can open things up a little bit, but you're right, Carrie, we've just been so conditioned to see you know, if, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it sounds like it, you know, and we see, we see the same thing over and over in terms of experience. And the more that we're changing the face of leadership and talking about these other qualities, um, you know, vulnerability and leadership and, and other aspects and modeling that, um, I think there's just, when, when we look at successors and candidates for successors, um, you know, it really opens opens up everyone's minds as to what's important and what will be important tomorrow. Um, one of the things that I think is really critical when when you're applying succession planning as it pertains to inclusivity is making sure that we completely break free of that um, scarcity mindset that we've all sort of been conditioned to see in org design and hierarchy and things like that. Um, and this is where it's, you know, I, I really, I said it before, but careers aren't lateral and they're not linear in that way in terms of, um, you know, only one path. And um, I think that, you know, the more that we can make things a win-win situation and focus less on uh, a culture where like knowledge is power. And so if you have this certain knowledge, then, you know, that's that, or this certain level of experience or something that we've traditionally seen, um, you know, that that's just going to slide right into a box that also cultivates a culture where um, people hoard knowledge and, you know, knowledge is something you can obtain and you can transfer pretty readily. It's more the capacity for learning. And um, so if you're focused on, you know, learning is power or the, um, you know, the, the capacity or the curiosity or the potential to grow is, is power. I think that shifts 
things. And I think, um, you know, when you take away that scarcity mindset, you create leaders who aren't afraid to make themselves redundant. And, you know, they create an organization where uh, you don't have that, you don't want that single threaded, you know, issue, but you also, um, you also don't want a whole lot of redundancy, but the best teams are sharing knowledge and the, and you're, and you're kind of putting the, the focus and the value on um, sharing information and asking questions and being open about the things that you don't know and allowing for people to take leadership roles in the roles that they're in and know more than anybody else in the organization about what it is that they're doing regardless of where they are in an org design. So I think all of those things open it up to different types of leaders that may not have a traditional background that we've seen um, you know, correlated to, to certain demographics over time. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be somebody right out of the MBA program from an Ivy League school, as an example. <laughs> yeah, Monica, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it all starts with the leader for sure. And uh, what we have been doing here in, in, at your DAO is uh, starting with uh, creating awareness and, and develop these leaders in unconscious bias trainings or inclusive leadership. So at least uh, it starts from that uh, being aware that okay sometimes I'm biased and, and and I always you know hire or promote the same people so we end up being all the same in the organization so we are opening to that but at the same time having um, diversity pro diversity and inclusion programs inside the organization that support these unrepresented minorities that they feel like oh I'm included here I'm invited to the party or to dance also not just uh, one more um, for sure that has been helping a lot. Uh, we have been focusing a lot on, on having women uh, because this is a very, very male dominant uh, industry. So attracting and promoting more, more women into leadership positions. And one thing that our organization made recently is that as part of the long-term um, long -term initiatives or programs that we have for, for high level uh, leadership, we have it in our embedded in, in our variable compensation. So we have a goal for growing women in leadership positions. Until 2025, we have to grow 30% of women. And now how are we gonna do that? So we now definitely have action plans to have it and uh, rethink about the benefits that we have. Rethink about the flexibility. And um, we created a women empowered group inside the organization to uh, develop these women and bring them together. And, and so they don't feel so lonely and have somebody to share their experiences and fears. And, and all this has been helping. Still, we're not there because we're seeing, yes, we're attracting more, growing more, but we're, we're still losing uh, pretty much the same amount. So it's, it's a challenge. It's not easy. There is a lot to, for us to adapt. But I guess these groups and um, this uh, help a lot. Uh, we were talking these days like, when you hire a woman, try to hire two so they don't feel so lonely in a group of males. So they are together mm -hmm. and and they can be buddies and, and that way they can support each other. So yeah, there are a lot of things that we can do and these groups help to understand if you have a value, there are opportunities for you here, uh, especially around confidence. Uh, I'm not talking only about women, all the minorities, there, there is a confidence issue around and we have to support them around that. Yeah, and provide a place that is psychologically safe to raise That's your That's so important, yes. Yeah. That's why leaders <laughs> are the first that need to provide that. Good. Yes, for sure. I love it, Monica. Krista, what are your thoughts? We've definitely revamped our uh, employee resource groups and expanded them. Um, so consciously trying to create those safe spaces. Um, a huge focus on employee voice listening. So actually asking um, people what they need to advance um, and, and grow, because we know that um, social science research has said oftentimes people will hold back because they're afraid that they'll not be able to be successful in their life and in their work if they move up the ladder or take on unknown new responsibilities. Um, and I think we're doing more with predictive analytics around, you know, you can see if someone's a retention risk, but can you do more to actually predict of how you can intervene six months in advance of a mid-career female manager leaving um, and give the manager resources to coach that person or connect them to someone who stayed and why they stayed. Um, again, kind of make those more personal connections um, mm -hmm. because again, it, it can't just be a pipeline issue. 
it has to be the environment that you're creating that's acknowledging what people need to be successful and to raise their hand and advance and bring more diversity at all levels of the organization. Yeah, and that you're alluding to something that I think is um, also really important, which is sponsorship, not just mentorship. You know, as executive leaders can very easily choose to reach out to different groups and identities and be their sponsor and really make sure that people know about their interests and work to elevate them in the organization. And if the leaders out there that are listening aren't doing that, you know, if you don't have people that you're sponsoring and escalating and pushing out there to make them visible, no one knows who they are. So there's a responsibility on behalf of the leaders to really um, take some ownership, which makes a huge difference. I also saw a question in the chat, how do you quantify feelings of inclusion? So I'll take this one if you don't mind, because we're actually actively working on this. So we sure. started um, an open group called the Equity at Work Council um, to bring in people, practitioners interested in understanding how we can use scientific principles to advance equity at work. And we've um, partnered with the Science of Diversity and Inclusion, which is an academic consortium nonprofit that is doing actual social science, behavioral economics experiments to figure out how do we get equity in the workplace. Um, and we're working on an index that actually will look at a lot of the traditional factors, like what is the representation, but we um, also look at advancement and how people feel, you know, because a lot of the places that um, get recognized as being um, more diverse or equitable, often it's just some basic metrics that they report, um, but maybe the people you know that work there don't feel like they have belonging. Um, and so we're kind of looking at what is that gap of how, again, this gets back to, can you really measure the employee voice? Are they able to speak their feelings and be heard? And so kind of looking at that, you know, do you have representation? Absolutely. But do people feel it? Um, and then can you address, you know, in their own words, what they want in order to feel that they belong? We've seen the same thing in our research too, is that even if they have an enormous amount of diversity across the organization, if you look at groups and identities that have been historically marginalized, their sense of belonging when they, they answer the question, I feel like I belong, is phenomenally lower than if they're of the majority, which is, you know, sadly, um, you know, something that I think you're getting at there, which is that gap. Rebecca, what were you going to say? Yeah, that's the same thing. I mean, my, my first answer would be we ask, you know, we ask them in the safest way possible and, um, you know, in a confidential way and, and from a number of different angles, you know, belonging and how do you feel in, in different situations and how are you made to feel by, by your leadership. Um, but I, I think that's fascinating too, those same trends of um, despite the fact that you have diversity that you can quantify, how are people behaving, you know, in meetings, who's speaking up, how, what does the room look like when they're speaking up, you know, what, where are the power dynamics? And so um, I think that's fascinating. Asking is probably the first step and that's, that's yeah. how we quantify it, but I think there's a lot more work to be done. There's a great comment too about a strengths-based approach and, you know, finding and untapping into the strengths we use, a tool um, called Strengths Profile that does exactly that, that helps organizations see the strengths of their talent in a different way and it's amazing that how much untapped strength we aren't leveraging um, in our organizations that's already there. Are you using any tools like that um, to look at um, capability strength or skills-based strength or leadership strength? Oh yeah, well, like for example, in Gerdau, we use a lot of, uh, especially for leadership, because we understand leaders are the ones that are really set the tone. So uh, assessments that understand the capabilities, we go very much and, and we define assessments for, for these uh, high, high level positions and understanding what are the competences and the, the capabilities and the skills that we need from from that leader is the first thing to do. So we always go out and, and search for good consultants out there that can help us with these assessments and give us feedback. And it's not just us seeing what we think around the employee, but bring us more that data. That's, uh, that supports a lot uh, when we make decisions around, um, around employees and especially leadership for sure. Completely agree, Monica. There are CEOs 
our CEO says that it's a privilege to be a leader and everyone deserves a great leader. So we actually have a specific assessment of managers um, outside of our traditional kind of culture employee engagement survey um, and then um, targeted interventions and, and development for managers, right? So can we make managers better managers? Because that has a huge mm -hmm. impact on all aspects of the business. That's so great. I'm going to steal that. I love, I always say everybody deserves access to an opportunity too, but they also deserve access to somebody that can help them develop into it. I love that, Krista. Rebecca, were you going to add something? Uh, we use a combination of systems and maybe Krista, you can help with this because I haven't found the silver, silver bullet yet, but we do uh, assessments as well. Um, we use data from 360 surveys, we use performance data, we use um, data that we capture on, on potential, um, but it's it's a lot to aggregate to get to a place where we have something similar to what Krista mentioned, which is just criteria for leadership, uh, agnostic to function. So um, yeah. it's, it's a lot of different systems. Very cool. You know, I think that the, the trends towards more ongoing coaching and development um, and 360 feedback, um, I think as you have more touch points, you just need more ability to analyze that data. We're, we're trying to develop capabilities so people know how they show up. Like is some manager always criticizing, you know, who, who's doing praise in their coaching touch points um, uh, so that you can actually hone in and say, you know, our culture, we want to be acknowledging the positive, right? Not criticizing people. How do we coach people to give feedback and get um, feedback? I think that's super um, important in terms of how we're going to prepare managers to be better managers. Yeah, I think a lot of managers, to your point, are just, they're not aware of how to be coaches. We program them to be better at doing what technology can do instead of um, being really good at what people could do. And there's a new poll that says leadership knows the investment required to make a place where people want to stay and grow. I think this is a really interesting question and it's getting the results I actually would have expected, which is um, there is some investment that has to be made. And it seems, I think, sometimes uh, hard to, to visualize for a leader, how will this directly impact our bottom line? And it's so many elements that have to really work together to invest in people, that it's it's not as simple as if I just use one of the things we talked about today, that it's all of a sudden going to make it better. And so, um, you know, we're seeing in the poll that 53% say, um, about 52% say that they um, don't know the investment. And I, you know, data is so powerful and there is such great data out there to really explain that to leaders. and tell that story. One of the mistakes I see a lot is HR leaders using terms like, you know, I feel like this would really help, or I think it would really help versus making the real business case for how it will really help. What are some of the ways that you all um, have been able to demonstrate how these investments in talent are, uh, they really pay dividends for business outcomes? Well, I can, I can share uh, our experience, my experience here in, in the organization. For example, we, we used to have, even in a um, couple of years ago, we started a cultural transformation that uh, the leader is the one that sets the tone. And, and together with that cultural transformation, it came something that said 30% of the time of the leader, you have to invest it in, in people. So you have to set it in the agenda and you have to have meetings in the agenda and you have to want one-on-ones and feedback in your agendas. So definitely we don't have that as like mandatory right now. It used to be so like a way to set the culture. I think it is already embedded of the, on the culture. So it, you can really see the difference. And um, some of, of um, the, the practices that we have in succession planning, we call it people development committees. So we get leaders together to discuss the succession planning and the critical positions and, and the talents that we have in the organization. So um, we definitely see those leaders there that are really investing time. And that's where you see it. That's uh, when we come and only not only invest time in their teams because you can feel it and you can see that, okay, this person really knows if, uh, what about my employee if they are 
um, mobile or not? If the, have you asked that question? If they will move from here to here? Oh no, I don't know. I don't know anything about their family. So that's where you feel like, okay, well, this is not working. But sometimes some of the, uh, let's say to do or, or like work after the PDCs that we do is okay. You all, all of you have to do one-on-ones with this list of people. And even if it's not from your team, you got to know talents around the organization from other areas. And when we come back to those committees, you can see the quality of the conversations because now everybody knows who is, I don't know, Peter that we're talking about and, uh, you know, moving from here to here, growing it and everybody can uh, bring more about this person and definitely make better quality decisions and good for the organization. So, yeah. I love that. It makes the, the person actually human, like you know more about them so you can make better decisions. Yes. We, we like to ask a lot. We ask the employees a lot about their experience with their leadership. And you know we try to foster a, an environment where um, they feel comfortable being candid about that. But we ask at 60 days in post-employment, we ask on their, on their way out in every exit interview, we ask about the quality, not just the typical exit interview survey, but the quality of their experience um, and really monitor those and and ask kind of pointedly, you know, how, how was your experience with regard to these things like belonging and things like that so that we can get a handle on it. Krista, I know you're big into the data. Um, I'm yeah, sure I was going to say, um, to expand on Rebecca's point, you know, employee voice is, you know, very straightforward. Why don't you just ask what people need to be successful and stay um, and have great leaders. Uh, I think what we're working on now is how do you correlate what the great leaders look like to replicate that across the organization? You can start to do that, right? You can actually see where um, certain managers maybe had certain interventions and they worked. And then you can do A-B testing with certain populations and say, we're going to suggest, we're going to recommend that if you have this person at this risk of uh, retention, having the kind of interventions that have worked for people like that, right? You can all, we can all imagine the same kind of shopping recommendations that you get online. We can start to do that with our people data, right? Like for middle um, managers, females that, um, uh, stayed with the company, here's the criteria that we know um, they had a mentor, they had a sponsor, or they were able to have flexible work hours. Like we can actually capture all of this. We are capturing all this, right? And now we can actually do something with all this data to connect the dots to say, here is what wor is working well and what's not. But not only that, but then make the recommendations to get other things to work well or work better. Yeah, I love that. I, there's also a question out there in the audience of, how do you use those analytics to predict someone leaving six months prior? And it sounds like those are some of the great ways. Are there any others that you would add to that, Krista? Well, it's funny because people sometimes think that predictive analytics are like these miracle metrics that you want to kind of manipulate and change the score. It's just to start a conversation with an employee, right? And it's going to be the more richer analytics that we start to get into those other correlations to what do you want to talk about? Well, um, I, if I know a little bit more about you personally, then I can have a better, genuine, authentic conversation. And it's funny because some of this is common sense, right? Like leaders learn this over the course of being leaders and working and having experience and maturity. But in a, this digital, distant, remote, fast-paced world, you know, we have to actually kind of lean on um, technology solutions to give us little nudges and suggestions. Um, but again, it, it is about how do you enable just authentic conversations and to the extent that we can give, you know, give people recommendations and nudges and, and provide that common sense at the point of the, the, the meeting. Um, I think that's what we should really be focusing on versus kind of trying to have more measurements or predictions. Thanks, Krista. Well, before we wrap up, um, I'd love to make sure that you all in the audience get the benefit of hearing a tip, tool, trick, book, resource, technology, um, anything that would be actionable right away or be helpful. If each of our panelists could also share um, kind of their, their one silver bullet, if there is such a thing, or their really golden egg of information and knowledge that you think would be helpful or um, anything that our audience could make sure that we're walking away today with something um, that we can go and do 
Um, we'd love to hear from each of you. Monica, why don't you kick us off? Sure, well, pleasure. I think there is so much, but I will say adding to uh, everything at the tools, I would say one tool that I pay a lot of attention inside the organization are exit interviews. They, they can really tell you a lot of what's going on in that area with that leader. Usually people leave because of the leaders. So that can tell you a lot about what's going on and, and make better decisions in the organization. So that's a good way to measure a lot of things. And in a more broader, holistic way, um, there is um, a guru that is called Ramcharam. Uh, we actually follow it a lot in, in Gerdau and uh, his book is uh, High Potential Leader. And he taught us a lot about how to, you know, address better the, the conversations around leadership and around succession and who like only 20% of the, of the positions are the ones that create impact. And from there you can build the whole succession planning. So uh, lots of very good insights. And someone that I just uh, really like a lot and very conscious is uh, Raksha, uh, Raxi Sodia, and uh, he's into he's one of the founders of Conscious Capitalism, and he has oh, this yeah. amazing book called Healing Organizations, and yep. um, that's uh, amazing, amazing book. Um, together that. with someone that um, I appreciate and is uh, one of my mentors, her name is Mili Mabat. Um, she's also the author, together with him, of uh, Shakti Leadership and um, how to balance masculine and feminine in this in this crazy world. So, uh, lots I, I learned from them. So yeah, I guess that's what I can share. Of course, there is lots more, but yeah, uh, that's my sharing for today. That's wonderful. I'm, I've got one out of the three checked off. I need to go into two more on my reading list. Thanks, Monica. Um, the I'm curious just um, from you, Monica, if there because we've made it this whole time without mentioning the word nine box. Um, <laughs> so I'm really impressed by that, I've got to say, but I'm curious, <laughs> is there uh, in lieu of nine box that you feel like is uh, really works better. <laughs> <laughs> we used to use nine box, not any, not anymore. For, uh, to be honest, and now with the methodology we we adapted into the organization is is very much comes from Ransharam. He taught us how to use like critical positions and discuss discuss the incumbents and their successors and and comes from talents and uh, yeah the 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 I would say the technology to. To follow that, we use uh, the career and succession model from SAP. So definitely, it is more uh, flexible to use. I will say this new methodology we created from Ransharam. It's not that he has the methodology, but inspired and on his uh, teachings, we 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 implemented this because I think that the nine box. I I don't like putting things in a box. You know, this this has to be a living <laughs> process, and it has. And you can adapt it and every country, like we, we are in different countries, we adapt it to our reality or to the leaders that we're working with. And sometimes you can use the, the system, but sometimes we use paper in the walls so we can see. And, and it has to be a fun process. It's, it's so much responsibility and so much that we are deciding in these committees that, yeah, I think it's yeah. better to adapt it. <laughs> I think that's so important what you just mentioned too like these are people's careers and their live trajectories and so it isn't just as simple as you know shifting people around on a grid it, it really is much more complex and personalized than that and it sounds like you're doing the work to take those um efforts really seriously um krista uh, tell us a little bit more um of your favorite tools tips tricks sure so I'm going to say skills ontology models because in all the years I've covered HCM systems, people never fill out their own talent profile. You get, you think you get hired, resume comes in, that's the last time people update what are their skills, interests, ambitions, right? People don't populate the data that you need to actually feed succession planning, but there are huge advancements that have been made around skills ontology models where basically AI models that are living, breathing kind of um, taxonomies of what are all the jobs that exist today and, um, and as they evolve in the future, 
what are all the skills that are associated with them that people can actually kind of have fun and play with and say, okay, yeah, that applies to my job title. So then they are actually having their own living, breathing resume that people can tap into in the organization um, to for succession, but also to say, hey, if you want to go on that career path, here's the, the things you need to add to your talent profile to be able to be qualified. So that I think is a big breakthrough that I've seen in terms of a technology tool that's really going to help us in this space. Wonderful, Rebecca, we've got 30 seconds maybe, but I'd love to hear your one tip trick. And thank you all so much for being here. Just a reminder to support those in Hurricane Ida's path um, and the work that World Central Kitchen is doing or any other cause and nonprofit that needs this uh, support now. Rebecca, bring us home. <laughs> thanks for having me, Carrie, and thanks everybody. Um, no, my, my current favorite, I love Adam Grant and I try to follow him podcast and reading and he just had one come out called Think Again. So I like to follow the cultural trends that are kind of adjacent to all of this. So love him. Love him. Thank you all so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to spend, if you're on the East Coast, lunch with you all. Please go eat to our panelists. Um, and I hope everybody has a wonderful and safe remainder to the week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Bye.